0: All right, everyone, welcome back. It is my fucking show. The Dominican flag is here. Myself is here. And my man, young flame, is here taking over the show, taking Berkey's seat.
1: Berkey's gone. Berkey's gone. Yeah. He, he's fired. Yeah, he's, he's, we, 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 got rid of him. Yeah, it was we about, him. it was about time. Yeah. He used too many big words. <laughs> These guys don't like big words. They might not like me. I'm British. All right.
0: Well, that's where the words originated. I heard.
1: Yeah, exactly. Well, we have an array of topics. We do. Well, I haven't told you them yet. I know, but I'm, I'm just assuming you have an array of topics. You're the Sometimes host. Sometimes I come up with shit in the middle of the podcast, so it doesn't not even know. But
0: it is Matt Hunt, Christian Soto, once again. Actually, for you is first, first time. But first for time me, ever. it's once again, and for the people watching. It is once again, we are here running the fucking world, man. This is the realest fucking podcast. You know that? This is a high, high quality podcast. We do. No, you have some to say good it. shit. This
1: is the realest fucking podcast. This is the realest fucking podcast.
0: All right, let's go. Let's go. Let's get it. All right, well, we're talking a little bit about fear equity. We're talking about that on, on Second Thoughts, which we is a show that is behind the paywall, not for free. None of that free shit. But they have a little bit of on second thought for free out here. Yeah, we give them a little bit. <laughs> a little we give, bit.
1: We give a little taste. You got you get the tip.
0: Um, all right. Well, and we were talking about fear equity. We yeah. were talking about how certain players have this fear equity. Of course, it all began with the great the one and only Phil Ivy. Mm-hmm. That's where fear equity kind of became a thing. Yeah. And you were kind of talking a little bit about how it wasn't necessarily like that factor
1: is diminished
0: in today's landscape. Can I think you it is. Expand a little, a little bit about
2: that. Yeah, I think
1: um, I think what I was what I was kind of getting at a little bit is that the the main place that that sort of fear equity comes from is when you feel like you don't know what to do. Like in any human situation, like if you don't know what to do, if you if you lack knowledge about what's going on, then fear starts to creep in. And we talk about this a lot at the academy. We've talked about it in a variety of different kind of contexts. And I think what's happening now is that, particularly in, in tournaments, and live tournaments, like people have a better understanding of what they quote-unquote should be doing in certain spots. Mm. And they may not know the answer, but they have a better decision-making framework. So it's really hard now to be the kind of player that people really are afraid of. Because you have to have that perception that you're doing something that they don't know about. Right. And there's so few things left that you can do that people don't know about because now we're in the age of solvers and you can test something out if you feel like you don't know about it. And then you can find out pretty quickly like how you're supposed to at least theoretically respond to it. So my feeling is it's, it's become harder in today's age of solvers to be somebody who sort of thrives off of that fear equity because it's just harder to make people afraid of you when they have a better route towards finding answers for themselves
0: what's your take on presence and like table presence there's certain players that have very strong table mm-hmm. presence right we see the alex foxons of the world mm-hmm. Stephen chidwick these players seem to have a presence to them yeah that causes potentially weaker players to fear them Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I feel like that's outside of the knowledge gap. Of course, there might be a knowledge gap. These mm-hmm. are very elite players. But what about presence?
1: I think that's it's a real thing in the, in the same way that it's a, a real thing just outside of poker, like mm-hmm. in human interaction. There are some people, like, they come into a room and they just have, like, a sort of charisma. Some mm-hmm. people are, like... They, they have a real sense of personality to yeah, they're them.
0: Dominican.
1: But, <laughs> you're the only, you and Fausto are the only Dominicans <laughs> I know. So I, both of you have that, you know, so I, I don't have a uh, reference point for Dominicans outside I'm gonna of that. i
0: take you to yeah, you're
1: going to learn. All yeah. right, all right. Um, but so there are people who have that, that sense of presence in that regard. And then there's yeah. people who have a presence that's kind of the opposite way. Like there are people who when they step into a room, there's, there's like a, almost like an intimidation factor. You know, some people are like, I don't, you, you get this immediate vibe of like, I don't want to mess with this guy. Yeah, yeah. And sometimes it's because they're like, you know, just physically like bigger and, and t- more intimidating. But sometimes it's because they just give off this like a vibe where it's like, they seem really like, angry all the time you know sometimes it's like i just don't want to talk to this guy because he just seems like he's going to be snapping at me or something for sure and and so people have different kind of presence in in just a in a personal sense and that manifests itself in in the poker at the poker table because everything manifests itself at the poker table you know so i I think people have people have a table presence um and it's it's obviously more pronounced in in live poker um you know online like Hard it's presence. hard to have a table presence, exactly. So Change it's like remote. you can you can have like a screen name presence, like yeah. th- that's a real thing. Like I've certainly found online, like there's been times in the past when I've been in, uh, like you'll be in a scoop event or something, like, and then you get moved tables and suddenly it's like you see Bryn Kenny on your mm-hmm. left, and I'm like, oh shit, like like you, I can't even see the guy, but I know that that's Crown Up
0: guy, right? Yeah, Crown Up guy. Yeah, yeah. you, guy. Know. Yeah, you
1: know. see you see the screen name and you know, but um. In live poker it's a real personal thing like you can you can be playing with somebody you would never played with before but you just get this vibe off of them where it's like this guy i feel like this guy's like ready to like battle in a in a certain way
0: yeah it's crazy so i was playing the 10k lapc Mm -hmm. and i got sat with a really good friend of mine chance cornet oh yeah good friends he's uh we also do a lot of business together Mm
1: -hmm.
0: and this was like the first time in like a little while like he's seen me play online he's seen me play like he's seen sure, me play yeah but he's never sat at a table and just right. like got to see me play like mm-hmm. an entire day one mm-hmm. and i made this uh instagram post about it mm-hmm. and he was like hey like just after the day's over he you know i bagged and whatever yeah. we moved on and then he was like hey just want to talk to you about your table presence mm-hmm. you know and i never you know in a 10k this is like one of the last things yeah. you're thinking about right And he was like, you know, you had a really submissive table presence. Yeah. So he forced me to like effectively like look in the mirror, like have a mirror in front of me and then act as if I'm playing and see like what they see. And it was really interesting because then. You know a year later, I got to see you know we're doing we're filming poker out loud right, and they took a a snapshot of like a certain shot that I yeah, had, yeah, and it was I was like, oh, I think I accomplished like what I was mm-hmm. doing, and it really changes mm-hmm. like like the way you carry yourself and right. everything because like I remember at the time me just like playing the hand and just like playing the hand in like a very normal yeah, way, yeah, and then the pointers he gave me were just like, okay, like do this, like mm-hmm. be wider, yeah like stare in a certain way mm-hmm. and it was interesting because. Like he did the same thing to Fox. Yeah. And it was like now I see Fox and I'm like this guy is scary, man. <laughs> <laughs> so it's it's cool to see just how you know your good friends like you know giving you little mm-hmm. pointers, but also just how table presence is really a thing.
1: Yeah, yeah. That's that's really interesting. I, I um I I feel like the for myself as someone who I played a lot of poker before I ever really played a substantial amount of live. You know, yeah. I played a lot of online. I probably played millions of hands before I ever came to Vegas and sat down in a World Series event and so my you know my like understanding of how i act and carry myself a live table is it's always going to be a work in progress for me because i didn't come through as a live player and and i feel like my table presence I, i would probably be like on the on the side where i i don't know if i would necessarily come across as submissive but like i don't think i'm like a dominating presence at the table trust me
0: i didn't like him saying
1: that word like, <laughs> right it <wasn't>, yeah <laughs> it wasn't
0: like, like he, yeah. he even pre- pre- prefaced it by yeah, saying like don't take this the wrong way yeah you know? yeah yeah like, right
1: right but I, I i almost feel like for myself the the funny thing is i've always felt like there's a certain benefit to when people aren't paying a lot of attention to you mm. at the table in live poker like if you're the guy who's running the table in a tournament, like right. there's value associated with that, For of sure. course. For sure. But like you're also going to be the guy that everybody um, is aware it's paying close attention to how you're playing, and I think that it, it's partially like a, just a personality thing where if you're naturally like I, I I I talk at the table when I play live. I'm like if it's a friendly table, I'll be pretty friendly, but I'm not going to be the guy who starts off the conversation very yeah. easily, and so if you're naturally quite quiet and, and like, particularly like, I think a British guy playing in Vegas, there's a specific kind of dynamic where, uh, people, people don't expect you to be like very loud and conversational. Like, um, and, and so I, I found that like over time, I've sort of started playing into that a little bit where I, I, I become kind of quiet uh, sometimes at the table. And I, I play in a way where I feel like, it's not that I feel like people are like scared to play parts with me. It's just that I I think that there's a there's a, a sort of an obvious, like deliberate nature to everything that I do. And I think that in itself um, makes people play kind of cautiously because they know you're thinking carefully about what you're right. doing. So I you're think calculated. Th- right. Like I, I don't have I don't feel like I have it. In my personality necessarily or in just the way I look or the way I appear to people and I sit down at the table to be the guy that everyone's like, oh, shit, this guy's going to run the table. Yeah, yeah. But I think I get value out of people playing cautiously against me because for, like even if it's just like they see someone who wears glasses, like they think, oh, this is a smart guy. Like, you know, right, like right, people right. do dumb shit like that. And they think like this guy is really making uh, like conscious decisions. This guy's thinking hard about what he's doing. But the problem for me is that it uh sometimes that like starts to take a toll on me because I feel like life poker becomes really exhausting like that was what i that was what I found this summer at the world Series like i this was the first time when I've been playing playing a fair amount of life poker, and I felt like after a while I was like physically just like really tired because I was putting a lot of energy into trying to like have good posture and I was trying to like be very still. And, and I was putting so much energy into like my sort of live poker, the, all of like the, the live stuff, like the, the live pro. Yeah. Live pro stuff. Um, the, it was, it was w- really wearing me out. And I was getting mm. to the point where like trying to maintain the same posture while I was making a, a decision while I was like tanking or while my opponent was tanking. Like after a while, I found that at the end of days, like my shoulders would be super tense and everything. Cause I was like trying to hold the same position and I was like tensing up. And so, uh, I'm the for me like I'm in the middle of like trying to find a place with my live game where I can be relaxed at the table But without losing that ability to have people like take everything that I do kind of seriously um, So it's an interesting experience for me in, in live poker, but the, certainly I feel like the the presence thing is is a really real thing
0: And it comes and goes, you know, if I'm playing against someone that I view to be a VIP, Mm -hmm. I'm not going to be sitting there, you know, like with the whole thing. I'm just going to be like kind of having fun with them and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. So it's it's one of those things that it's it comes and goes. Mm -hmm. There's a time and a place for it. Right. Before we get into the next topic, we have to pay the bills. You know, We we have to pay the bills. So the February Academy is sold out. You can no longer come here. We will kick you out. But there is one in April. So if you wanna gear up for the spring, if you wanna mm-hmm. be ready for those summer matches versus Brits in Vegas mm-hmm. or Brits anywhere around the world. In Britain even. Even in Brit. <laughs> you can come to our April Academy and have some fun. Yeah, with, uh, for sure. With myself hunt and maybe if Berkey's still here if we decide to bring him back yeah not so sure about that he's been a little bit rusty
1: yeah but uh am I right in saying it's uh April 1st to April 3rd we should do a little I believe it is you think we could do a little April Fools' thing for the for the students, and we'll just uh, we'll show up and we'll be like, "All right, you're here to learn how to play stud." You know, how about we just don't show up? <laughs> we, we just let them in and like just there's nobody here. <laughs> how long will it take before they start complaining? That's the that's probably the like, test. Probably like 15 minutes. April Fools! So. We're just wasting three hours of your time. Yeah. All right, so
0: I do want to talk about a certain subject with you. All right, what's that? So, you have a big parallel with language mm-hmm. and poker your sure. background is a linguist mm-hmm. how many languages do you speak
1: um i obviously i speak english uh my french is pretty much fluent um mm-hmm. it's it come it, it like it changes depending on how much practice i've had recently right, of course yeah. but like if i went to france after a day i'd be back into it you know mm-hmm. so my french is pretty much fluent so i would say i speak two languages fluently Cool. um like the next best language for me is Spanish because yeah. I spent a few months in Mexico. Dímelo todo, ya tú sabes, loco. Dímelo. No puedo hablar español ahora. La <laughs> okay, that's really. Tengo good. Ten que, tengo que practicar mucho más.
0: All right, you almost there. You almost at the flag. I got <laughs> you. All right, you got, you need a
1: little bit of swag in almost, the limit. Almost, almost. You, you need a little bit of more like. You know. That's about as much as Spanish is going to get me to speak publicly. <laughs> tato, tato. <Dime. laughs> All right. Um. So Spanish is like my third best language, but yeah. it's not great. So like,
0: you're like a love language kind of guy.
1: <laughs> I'm yeah a good, i am you european man nah, we're, all, we're all that
0: way i don't feel like english is a love
1: language uh maybe not That's english true. is trash we're like we're like the the british people are like the the like we're the low level europeans you know we're yeah. not even going to be europeans in like another month
0: german is definitely not love
1: language yeah you know what? I, I had that conversation when i was in france with a bunch of people they were like like i was like i don't care to learn german because it just doesn't sound like a nice language it's not a
0: seduction language you're a seduction <laughs> kind of guy you're a I'm seduction married, kind of guy i'm already married well, yeah, now i know how you got married <laughs> you hit it with
1: a little bit of spanish a little I'm, bit of french i married an american americans are easily impressed all right you hit it with some Spanish. <laughs> you
0: hit it with some french in, a, in like a spanish dinner i got you all right all awesome. right she's like you know you know, you know baby me. i do all this <laughs> i got you You good? it's funny
1: actually because you, you did kind of call it she my wife always t- tells me she wants to uh she wants to go to france to hear me speak french so like right, yeah. see. so you did you did call it you called it gotcha. but regardless um spanish is like my third best language okay. um and then everything else from there is like stuff that i know a little bit of uh right. i studied a little bit of russian in high school but i've forgotten most of it like i can i can kind of i can read the russian alphabet still um and i can understand bits and pieces um so, like, basically Russian, German, um, I can speak a little and understand a little and read reasonably well. Portuguese, I can read a little. Uh, I can't really speak any. Um, Dutch is kind of the same. Uh, because once you start studying certain aspects of language, you start to pick up on reading really easily. Because reading is like the... The easiest of the four disciplines, like listening, speaking, reading, reading, and writing, reading is the easiest one to pick up because your brain gets as much time as you want to digest the Uh, information. For sure. Like listening, you have to do it in real time. Yeah. Speaking is a creative thing. Writing is a creative thing, but reading is the one where you just sit. And if you take, if it takes you five minutes to understand a sentence, that's fine. Right. Mm. So reading is easier. Um, Italian, I can read a little as well, but like basically everything, everything after Russian. Oh, um. I spent a couple months in Turkey uh, a few years back too. So I speak a little tiny bit of Turkish, but that's, that's basically it. Cause it's, it's like English and French, pretty much English fluent French, pretty much fluent Spanish, like kind of okay. And then every, there's a big drop off after that, but like, there's a lot of little bits of stuff because I've spent time in other places like Poland and Czech Republic too. And you pick up words, but you never really get to the point where you can actually speak it.
0: So often I hear you talk about the relationship between language and poker. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to tell you the truth. I don't really pay attention to half the shit you say when you say that. So I need, right. you, I, I need, okay. you, I need you to explain this I appreciate shit. your
1: honesty. All right. So the, the way I see it, right, is um, poker is a game that is a mathematical construct. Like right. it's something we invented that did not exist at a certain point in time. We created it as a game that we could play. And everything exists mathematically. The The properties of a deck of cards exist mathematically. Like right. a, a certain card is higher than another, lower than another. That's all math. And because humans can't communicate in math, like we can't, I can't just like spit out an equation at you and have you understand it. And you can't, you know, say say something back to me in No, yeah, we're not computers. Like, right, like, exactly. Yeah. Right. We can't, we just aren't computers. We're biological beings. We We needed, over time, we needed a way to communicate. We needed a way to... Um, you know, get uh, something from each other, like over over time, just outside of uh, of any kind of game environment. And then when poker came along, you know, we have this game that is math at its core, but we need to to play it, like to be we need to be able to talk about it. We need to be able to communicate about the the nature of the game. Mm-hmm. And so we had to develop words to describe stuff. We had to develop words like fold, call, raise, etc. And all of these words have connotations that people understand when we say them but at the same time outside of just what they mean in a really basic simplistic sense they have connotations beyond that because you can see these words used outside of poker in in other language areas as well yeah like you you see people use the expression like sometimes people use it as like a joke where someone will say something and then uh in the people like in a way where they're trying to communicate like oh you think that's bad look at this someone mm. will say oh i'll see, i 'll see that and I'll raise you this right, you know right. like people use it in everyday language so people have this familiarity with poker and and so what what came to me after a while of like working on uh, studying poker and and getting used to like using solvers and things like that is is really the the solver and, and the the math and everything that comes behind that is the the basic reality of this game but because we 're human beings, we can never really Truly understand the game in that domain. Like, we can't think mathematically beyond a certain point. Like, because even someone who's really outstanding at math can only do a certain amount, they're still a human being. So, we developed all this language. And the problem with the language is that the language is really unclear sometimes. Mm. And the language doesn't always give us a concrete framework for understanding why a certain thing makes sense mathematically. So for example, like if we talk about 3 betting for for just a very simple example, like to talk about what hands we should 3 bet in a certain spot. If we say we should 3 bet this hand, we shouldn't 3 bet this other hand, what we're saying is we're make, we're using language to convey the idea that there is a positive value to one thing and a negative mathematical value to another thing. Yes. Um so we're taking stuff that if we could if we could just in very simple terms, communicate everything we needed to in order to be able to accurately say the EV of 3-betting is this, the EV of something else is something else, that we, we would do that. But because we can't do that, we have to use language. So when we're forced to use language, now we have to develop a framework that conveys these ideas as clearly as possible. So we started, we started uh, figuring out terms like polarized. You mm-hmm. know, polarized is a word that we use a lot and it means a certain thing. It means a range that has strong hands and weak hands. And the difficulty in applying that term is how to understand it mathematically. Because mathematically, we have to be able to identify when a range actually is polarized or when it's not. We have to be able to understand equity. We have to be able to understand board textures and things mm-hmm. like that. And, and so there's a, a mathematical context to the word that we're using as a, a reference point. And this is where the math and the language start to meet. Right. And in so order... So polarized
0: equals a math
1: problem. Yeah. It po- Polarization as a concept is something that if we had high level understanding of the math, we wouldn't need the word. Yeah. But because we can't like encapsulate all the math of polarization. And then say it to someone. And then, yeah, right. Yeah. yeah. We just, we need a word to describe what that means because humans are very efficient in the way that we communicate right if we can use one word we don't use 10 words instead if we can use one word we don't use an hour of math instead Mm. you know so uh we created that word polarization we created using harder
0: words that are unnecessary because that seems to be a theme of the person that usually sits in your
1: (laughs) it does it does i think the 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 thing about language as a whole is that it's really less about the words that you're using and more about your ability to be understood by your audience. There's a thing in linguistics called communicative competence, which uh, shout out to my buddy back in England, Martin Davis. He's very big on this from uh, when we used to talk about this in college. It basically refers to the idea that if the person that you're talking with understands your intended meaning, then nothing you said was wrong. Mm. But if they don't understand, then even if you said something that feels like it's what you meant, then clearly you didn't say it right. Yo, Matt Hunt is giving out <laughs>
0: dating advice here. Literally, dating advice? Yeah, it's like.
1: How it, is that dating advice? That's
0: like the best. Say what you said again, and all the girls listening are really going to get it. Okay, like, so what, okay, what I said,
1: all right, so what I was saying, let me try to repeat, let me try to repeat the whole thing. Communicative competence is if you, and this is a broad thing, it's like I, I should stress, like I, I've done linguistics as part of my college degree, but. I'm telling you, but, you're, you're giving out fire okay, advice to but, all the guys listening around. I am not a professional linguist there are people way more qualified than me so if Mm. I'm wrong about some aspect of this I apologize but um, communicative competence is if you if you say something and the message that your intended recipient gets is not what you wanted Mm -hmm. then that means there was a flaw in how you communicated yes it doesn't mean that the person who is receiving the the communication is somehow wrong you see how this is like the the top end dating advice of all time (laughs) I don't, I, like, I don't see how you man. don't see I'm, this. I'm happily married. I don't have communication problems. I don't, That's what I'm I don't, saying. That's why you're happily married. You okay. don't have communication
0: problems. <laughs> All right. Like, this is like
1: the most legit dating okay. advice I've ever okay. heard in my life. All right. All right. Well, um, for anybody who this is useful for... You, you should know, charge you should for this shit. I should charge for this shit? Yeah. This is like uh, so real. Like you could be on the... You could really help people oh man this is common knowledge for anyone who's done a languages degree
0: dude you should talk to the women in my life all they say all they say is like you got communication problems maybe i just use too much like you know the things i'm trying to say doesn't get to where it's supposed to be intended to
1: i i'm not gonna say what i was gonna say i'm not gonna because i don't want to i don't want to disparage anybody <laughs> but ahead. uh the yeah where was i i'm, I'm, trying, I'm trying to find my, my I rattled, what was, you. You, what rattled the, you what was the original point i was fucking making here I was talking about communicative competence. I because was talking about, if if what you're saying, oh yeah, you, if you what you're saying yeah. isn't received in the right way, it's because every communication has a different context, mm. and you can you can't expect in any situation to just say something that makes perfect sense to you and have somebody else inherently just immediately understand it, because. It's the, that's the equivalent of like saying something in me saying something in English to someone who doesn't speak English and then being like, well, oh, well you know, I, I said something in English. What I said made perfect sense. Why didn't you understand? Yeah, for sure. Like you, you have to be adaptive to the context in which you're communicating.
0: Let's talk about that. So there was right. a discussion between Matt Berkey and Daniel Nagranu on uh-huh. Twitter mm-hmm. and Daniel said that there was ways that high-level concepts of poker mm-hmm. can be translated. That's mm-hmm. the word I'm going to yeah, use this yeah. time. Can be translated in such a way that anyone can understand it. Mm-hmm. Berkey fires back and says, if that was the case, they would no longer be higher-level concepts. Uh-huh. You as a linguist, what's your take on that?
1: Well, Bucky and I talked about this in, in the off the aftermath after it happened. And I actually mostly agree with Daniel here. Mm-hmm. Um, I I think that, I, I i see what bucky's getting at but i think the the difference is i think bucky's referring more to the idea of the implementation um and i think it's it's absolutely true that a high level concept if it could be implemented easily it wouldn't be a high level concept but For sure. i think that a good teacher will always be able to explain a complex thing in a simple way depending on their audience if you go on if you go on youtube there's a channel that i really like called wired which had Post a lot of videos about technology and stuff like that. And they do these things where they get someone to come in and uh, explain a very complicated concept at five different levels to different people. So the one, this video that I, that I watched, the most recent one, was a woman who was a professional in the field of quantum computing, hmm. uh, which a lot of people just don't know what the hell that is.
0: Yeah, it sounds tough. Uh,
1: yeah, and it was like a 20-minute video. And the, it was her explaining what quantum computing is to like a seven-year-old and then like a 15-year-old and then a college student and then an IT professional and then a, another guy from the field of quantum computing. Wow. And so she explained the same concept at five different levels to five different people and they all understood exactly what she was talking about because she was explaining it on their level. And I think the that's the I think what that's I think what Daniel was getting at in this instance. And I think that it's it's definitely correct that a good teacher will be able to take high level concepts and make them intelligible to anybody. I mean I've I've explained high-level poker concepts to my wife who doesn't play poker at all mm-hmm. and had her understand them. And I think the reason I'm able to do that is because I have experience in, in understanding what it's like to communicate with t- so many different audiences. You know, I've, I've taught players of a lot of different backgrounds and I've also explained poker to people from outside poker. Like I have a lot of friends back in the UK who don't play poker. I have family members who never played poker and I've specifically attempted to, to explain high-level stuff to them uh kind of to force myself to to understand it better in some ways because they there's a i don't know if this is a thing that people say here but but in the uk there's a uh, a sort of a, a phrase that people say sometimes which is that you don't really understand something until you can under you can tell you, you can, can ex- teach it explain yeah, yeah, it yeah. to your grandmother is what oh, they say oh yeah i've heard that like, too yeah. Yeah, yeah yeah so like I, i've always uh tried to keep that in mind when teaching because i think that if you can't explain something to somebody simply then a lot of time you just alienate your audience. And, and I think the, the, the disconnect in the debate that Berkey and Daniel had is that I think Berkey was talking about high-level concepts with regard to um, someone being able to really deeply internalize the idea and then implement it uh, in a coherent way. And, of course, it takes a long time to understand these things. But um, I can explain to someone who's never played poker in their life what Nash Equilibrium is. Go ahead. Okay. Nash Equilibrium is essentially if you were to take two opposing players or two opposing entities in a strategy game, and you were to give them a framework by which you could measure their strategies, so a mathematical framework, a Nash Equilibrium scenario would be a scenario where essentially each party in the competition was able to anticipate the other player's strategy to the point where neither player had any obvious better strategy available to them. Okay. That's the simple explanation of a Nash equilibrium. And I could use that as an explanation through any kind of different number of examples. Some, sometimes what I'll explain it, uh, sometimes what I'll use to explain it to students is the idea of a boxing match. Like if two guys have one boxing match, mm-hmm. you might look at that and say, okay, well, one of them just looks at what, what's the other guy's weakness. Maybe he's weak in a certain area. I should target that. And the other guy looks at the first guy and says, what's his weakness? I should target that. Yeah. And then they have one match and somebody wins, somebody loses But let's say those same two guys have a hundred boxing matches. By the end of that, they know each other's strengths and weaknesses extremely well. And each of them has put time and effort into covering their weaknesses to the point where those weaknesses may not exist anymore. And they may be able to anticipate very clearly what the other person's going to do. So now nobody has a clear strategy that's going to uh, allow them to hopefully win that boxing match the hundredth time because everybody knows everybody's strengths and weaknesses. Mm-hmm. And there's an equilibrium reached where nobody can actually benefit from changing their strategy other than to just try to do as best they can. And that um, that happens in a lot of sporting environments. Uh, one thing that I'm really interested in right now is the idea of applying Nash Equilibria to other scenarios. Yeah. The, the sport that interests me the most on a strategic level is actually soccer, because obviously I'm, Cause I'm British. Yeah, because you know, I'm British. But at the same time, it's a game where... Um, there's you know 11 players on each side, so there's a lot of moving components, literally constantly moving components. And strategy can take so many different forms that you can never create any kind of a blueprint for a Nash Equilibrium scenario other than um, you, you try to play offense and defense as best you can. Yeah. Um, and hopefully you're faster and stronger and have more stamina than the other guys. And that's ultimately what it comes down to, that if the strategy was perfect from both teams, the one that was physically superior would probably win. So I'm really interested in, in these concepts and, and being able to kind of uh, sort of pass them on and teach them to more people in a lot of ways and in, in simple ways, because I think that by understanding them is how we, it's how we start to gain like a deeper understanding of what strategies can actually be employed in almost any sort of competitive environment, really. I, um, I think that, you know, the, the field of, of strategy in, in any area advances a lot when we take these leaps forward in understanding the strategy. And when John Nash came up with the concept of Nash equilibrium strategy, um, you know, I, I think there's still, uh, that was, that was probably, I think 50 or 60 years ago. Now I'm not a hundred percent sure on that. Um, there's still so many areas where that has never been applied. Like I I follow soccer a lot and you don't hear soccer coaches talking about exploits. You just hear them talking about like, well, this team is bad at this thing. So we're going to try to do this to highlight that weakness. And that's an exploit. But they never talk about exploiting. They never talk about like a balanced soccer strategy. Mm -hmm. They just talk about each team having a way that they play because that's sort of their personality. But they never... They never have, like, nobody's ever put any effort into trying to figure out, like, what is, like, the the solve for a sport like soccer because it's so complex. So it's fascinating to me in that level. So if you guys think you did a good job, hit the like button, subscribe. Yeah.
0: Comment below. If you like what Matt Hunt just said in terms of Nash equilibrium, if you think that Matt Hunt can help your relationship, help your communication with your significant other follow matt hunt at at mgh poker he will be building a a
1: second twitter at mgh dating <laughs> i'm sure it'll be there i don't even have time for one twitter right now i'm on a twitter hiatus
0: i understand but the people want what they want
1: yeah, they, they you know if they want to follow me they can follow me absolutely yeah. i will be back on twitter at some point but i i like to take uh regular social media hiatuses when i get busy because i feel like twitter becomes a distraction for me when too I have much business of, in the dating world huh? no too much uh <laughs> too much bullshit in the poker world too oh much, shit bang uh, bang i mean it's not it's not bang bang like nobody nobody would argue at this point that poker is full of like needless beef going on between different yeah, players yeah like, i could you know, see that like it's 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 uh it's a communication problem it is it's literally exactly <laughs> what it is it's funny that you said that because that's that's pretty much what i was going to say like we we all, like, poker is full of people just talking past each other. Like, mm. people making assumptions about what they think somebody else is trying to say and preempting the argument. And then, in, like, th- this happens to Berkey all the time. Like, people think that they know what his position about GTO and exploits and things like that things like that is. Mm-hmm. And so they say something to him on Twitter, and then he gets into this position of, like, no, I'm agreeing with you. You don't get it. And then they're, like still arguing against him when he's already pointed out that he agrees with them. And it. And I don't think it's a flaw necessarily in the way that Berkey is communicating in this instance. I think it's a flaw in the way that like, people have made, people make assumptions on Twitter so easily. And yeah. I think because Berkey's a live pro people look at him and like, he doesn't do solvers. Therefore he doesn't know. Mm-hmm. But in actual fact, I think Berkey has probably the, one of the best instincts for um, what the solve would hypothetically say. This isn't a fucking Berkey show. Let's let. Yeah, let, we're, let, we're talking too much about him.
0: he's yeah, like he's like he's here. It's like he's upstairs or something. Hey, yeah. I don't hear him. He's
1: literally upstairs. I know.
0: <laughs> but uh, no, I agree with you. I think that the problem is a is a big communication problem. Yeah, and it's it's one of those things where Twitter only allows a certain amount of characters. Mm-hmm. You don't want to write a paragraph out there, and people tend to shorten things up or take positions preemptively yeah yeah and, and that, i think that happens a lot and yeah i mean i agree with you i, I don't know if i am strong enough to
1: stay away from the twitter verse oh really as, I, like for me it's like the opposite i have to be strong to not be away from it like i have that's to what I'm like saying. no i mean oh i have oh. to be strong if i'm gonna be on twitter oh really i, ha- I have to like i like okay i'm gonna go on twitter i'm probably gonna see a bunch of people tweeting stupid stuff that i i want to argue with <laughs> But I have to like resist all of that, you know, like because it's just so, it's so hard to be on social media without seeing people saying stuff that you instinctively are like, man, I, I want to argue with this guy about that or right. like or this guy's wrong about this. Or well, like, I think
0: I think a lot of people go on social media for those reasons. They do. And like, it
1: becomes like it, it's like a, a a habit to like just go on Twitter, argue with people. And you come out of it and you're like, ah, eh, fuck these guys, you know? And, mm-hmm. and you just like, you got something out of your system, but you actually came away like feeling worse because you just argued unnecessarily. And I, I, I like debating stuff with people if I know that they're going to debate it in good faith. But I think most people on Twitter just don't debate in good faith. I think right. they, they debate with the intent of proving themselves right. And they debate with like, they basically come into it Having already basically said there is no way I am ever going to admit this guy is right or has a point, and the discussion goes nowhere. Yeah. Um. And and that that's just a problem because you can't have a coherent debate that way. And the 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 biggest the the biggest flaw with the whole thing is like this this is the site that runs our entire fucking society right now. Like billions of people are ha- like conducting these debates about every issue affecting society, and they're doing it. Through 280 characters or less, yeah, in a way where how can you possibly understand somebody's point of view in that context? Like, how could you possibly convey the complexity of uh, certain ideas with that little space? And I think this is—I I would imagine there's probably people like myself who who come from a language background and who who are accustomed to like. When when you study languages, you kind of get used to having long form conversations with people because you have to do it to practice the language, right? So whether it's in English or in French, like I've done that a lot, and it it frustrates me to have to restrict myself to two hundred eighty characters. Like when I when I write a tweet, I'm I'm like desperately trying to find a way to fit it into two hundred eighty characters half the time, you know? Yeah. And so it um it just after a while, it's like I I can use Twitter if I'm. If I'm feeling in a good headspace and I'm not like I'm not like wanting to like argue with people, I'm not stressed out about it. I use it during the World Series because it's good to keep up with stuff and it's good to like. Put, I hate the
0: fucking ITM. Yeah, I,
1: FTW. I don't I don't but, like that. I don't like yeah. that part of it, and I I try not to to be part of that either. But I I do I do like the idea that during the World Series, like the poker community is kind of together in right, Vegas, right, right. and and it's more of. It feels a little it's bit a less more supportive. It, it feels a little bit less like people just yelling at each other over the internet because it's like you'll see a tweet from somebody and then you'll see that person an hour later mm. and you can talk to them about it. You know, right, so like right. it's it's a different experience. Maybe they're scared. Maybe I don't know. I think that's what it is. <laughs> Back to fear again. We're talking. Yeah, yeah they're they scared
0: cause they don't want to. They don't want to tweet something bad and then see them in the hallway and they get knock the fuck out.
1: Yeah, maybe that's it. I don't know, but um, I think I thought it was really weird recently that uh, the apostle thing like brought us all together. It was kind mm. of interesting that someone someone cheating was like the the thing that had everybody say okay forget all this stupid rivalry this is the thing that actually matters
0: because yeah, now yeah, like yeah, we sure. all
1: got scammed by this guy you know yeah i lost
0: 10 fucking racks yeah but we'll see we'll see what happens out of that um yeah. all right so we said we had to pay the bills but now i have to do something where we're giving shit away for free which we're giving is more shit away for free huh it's it's not my favorite you're thing not you're
1: not happy about that huh i can't
0: believe that we're still in business it's insane if you all want 1 month of free content including Matt Hunt's elaborate anatomy of an MTT if you want to learn how to play tournaments from start to finish for free. God damn it hurts when I say that. <laughs> Use the code S the number 4 Y the letter Y gift S4Y gift I'm sure it'll be here where you all can see it. You get a free month. A lot of good stuff out there. Berkey's doing Exploitative Matrix. I'm doing hand classes. My man, Matt Hunt, he's doing everything that has to do with a goddamn tournament that ever existed. If you want to do turbos, if you want to do the main event, if you want to do normal $1,500 dusties, if you want to do the $500 big 50, you get it all. It was a big fifty five hundred? 500. It was. I yeah. got it all. I fired. You did. You did car. get it
1: all. That's that's like the biggest hype package I've ever gotten. I got you. I don't man. get. I don't get trailers and hype packages like you and Bucky do. I'm just. Uh, I'm just the coach. So I'm. I'm grateful that you gave me a little 10-second hype package. Dude, here. I'm
0: giving you like second career paths and everything on I know, this right? show. Making, yeah, me, like making me into kind of, some kind of dating. You about, consultant. To, you about to be Hitch? You ever saw
1: that movie? Yeah, I did see yeah, that. movie. Yeah, that's you <laughs> right now. you you solving communication problems in I a world I did where not, the communication problem in relationships is the number one I thing. I did not expect we'd be referencing like 2004 Will Smith movies in this podcast. 2004 forecast. Will Smith, man. He was getting paid a lot of money, man. Will Smith gets paid a lot of money whatever year you're talking oh, about. I'm trying to, I'm trying to you know. It's probably you. never been a time in his life when he wasn't getting paid a lot of money.
0: Uh, you know, that's probably true. Fresh Prince of Bel-Air was, was really good. Okay, so who do you think is going to win
1: the bet between Berkey and I? I feel like you've never wow. taken, a, taken a stand. I haven't. I haven't taken a side because I, I have faith in you, but I think it's really going to be tough. I think mm-hmm. like I I think that what's going to come down, what is going to come down to, is like whether or not there's any major road bumps. Because mm-hmm. like I think if you if you maintain the momentum, Berkey's banking on an injury. He's banking on an injury. Yeah. Okay.
0: What a guy, huh? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that's
1: that's tough. See, I the the thing the thing that I would I would feel is like a big obstacle is like it's really hard to to stick with that level of discipline over mm. a period of time if just something happens that like derails it slightly because for, sure. for me like the biggest the most difficult thing is like if I get into a really good routine and I get into a rhythm it's great yeah but then if I have a time where I'm like really stressed out and I lose my routine for a couple of weeks like. Yeah. Like this has happened in the last couple of months, like, because I'm further away from the gym now and between now and next week when my wife and I move, um, like my, it's been harder to get to the gym. And then like one thing goes to another, like you find it harder to get to the gym, your diet slips a little, you get stressed out. Like I've had a lot of work to do. Like, it's so easy to have like a spiral where you for fall sure, down, sure. you know? So, um, that I think is going to be like the, the hardest part of it, Absolutely. like how, how you manage it when things get really tough Mm -hmm. and like you really want to just like kick back and just have a nice meal and not have to care about the weight loss bet yeah it's it's crazy i've uh i've
0: effectively how i've envisioned this is i have to prepare effectively for making all things easier right right Mm -hmm. so a lot of the things that berkey was telling me was like oh you know you You have to kill yourself out there. You know, (laughs) you have to like get a trainer. And you can't, if you don't get a trainer, you're not going to get to 90% of capacity. And Mm -hmm. it's like, all right, well, he's like, have you ever trained to the point where you throw up? And it's like, all right, listen, man, if I'm training every day to the point where I throw up, I'm not going to go back. Mm -hmm. And if I'm going to wake up at six to go in the motherfucking cold ass pool, Mm -hmm. I'm not going to do that. Mm -hmm. I'm going to wake up at my normal time. Have a breakfast that I enjoy, hit the gym hard, and make sure that all the things are in place to make me comfortable enough that I'm doing it, mm-hmm. but still very uncomfortable when I'm in the place that sure. I'm supposed to do what I'm supposed to do, Right? you know? And I think, it's, I think that's the way to do it because I think if you go from like zero to a hundred, where like now I'm waking up at six to mm-hmm. go to the gym and like, like you're just,
2: it's too much. We have two voices in our mind, and boy, I know they're fucking true. I've heard them, I hear them now, <laughs> and they're real. It's that one voice, that voice I used to love to fucking hear, that we love to hear. It's that soft motherfucker, that soft motherfucking voice that says, sleep the fuck in. It's okay. It's that calling voice. You want to be hugged and nurtured and all that shit that says, it's going to be okay. Well, there's another motherfucking voice that wakes you up in the middle of the night. It's not your girlfriend. It's not your boyfriend. It's that demon fucking voice that whispers in your fucking ear that says, Get up, motherfucker. You're not fucking good enough. You gotta work fucking harder. You haven't put enough time in. It's that voice you wanna run away from. It's that voice you don't wanna fucking hear. But guess what? It's that voice you need to fucking listen to. Stay hard. Listen to the whisper. Yeah, I mean, I've, I've
1: been through that process a lot. Like uh, the process of like, you realize that you've kind of like been lazy for a while and mm-hmm. then you think, okay, tomorrow I'm going to get up early. Right. I'm going to go do, I'm going to do all this shit. Like I'm going to stick to this new routine. And every time I've ever tried to do everything at once like that, it just falls apart. You can't do it. Yeah. And it's because it's too much change at once. And it's not that, it's not that nobody can handle a lot of change at once. It's not that nobody can have that level of discipline. It's just that, There's, there's such a thing as like being nice to yourself, I Mm. guess, in a certain way that is not like just, just indulging every impulse that you have. But like the thing that's like been the most helpful for me since maybe I would say the time when I really started taking better care of myself was not long after I started playing poker for a living. So like 2011, 2012, the thing that's made the biggest difference for me is just improving my physical experience of life. And, and what I've, and what I've noticed is that whether it's meditation, yoga, like stuff that I do, um, exercise, like all sorts of, uh, different things that contribute to that. The, the problem is that you, your body needs like a bunch of different stuff. Your body, it, it, your body doesn't need to like go eat a pizza or have, uh, you know, ice cream or whatever, but there, there's such a thing as like rest and recovery that, has more benefit to it than just going hard every single time. For sure. For sure. Yeah, go ahead. And and, and I'm not um, a fitness expert by any means. Like I've, I've learned a ton from Berkey when it comes to the fitness aspect of things, but there are only certain personality types that can push themselves that hard sustainably as hard as Berkey pushes. Like he, he has, I, I, I can only assume that it probably comes from his athletic background Mm -hmm. that he's, come from uh he's grown up like being being able to push himself that hard and being able to just get back up again the next day and not be heavily impacted by it because he's so motivated to to go do it again but so like a, if i if i pushed myself that hard the next day i'd be like screw this man like, yeah absolutely I, I just that's wouldn't that's kind of that my way.
0: take and i think that it works in many other avenues mm-hmm. so if you are trying to learn poker hmm and you're going from a very novice mm-hmm. or you know you're playing one 2 no limit or, or something like that i'm not i'm not you know i'm sure there's great players out there but if you're going from that point and then you wake up and say you know what i haven't been studying enough mm-hmm. and you're just gonna fire up sauce videos and mm-hmm. like buy a po buy po and like you're there's no way right. you can go from this point to mm-hmm. this point and think you can you can do that. If, right. So every day if you chip away, you mm-hmm. just chip away, chip away. Eventually, mm-hmm. this language of of that sauce is speaking mm-hmm. is no longer foreign to you. Right. You know? And similarly in how I'm how I'm approaching this bet is okay, I have my scheduled cheat days, mm-hmm. right? I'm not gonna try to do too much damage. Mm-hmm. And I have my five-day routine and I'm just chip away, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Because I think if I go from zero to 100, I just burn out, mm-hmm. right? Uh, but I, I did want to talk to you in terms of not only that bet, but taking. how would you take someone in today's landscape
2: mm-hmm.
0: that was at zero uh-huh. and getting them to a point where they can compete in, let's say, a 3,500 WPT main event? How would you do that?
1: Okay, so we're talking, um, we're talking primarily live poker. Like we're training right. for live poker. Yes. Okay. The
0: or you're taking someone that is playing, you know, the thirty rebuy. Okay. You know.
1: Okay, I see. So I think there's um, the one of the reasons why I am very grateful for the way I came through in poker is because online gave me the chance to just put in so many reps, mm-hmm. just to just do a lot of playing poker mm-hmm. to the point where it desensitized me to feeling like a certain thing was like really uncommon you know so like i've i've played i've like i've flopped a straight flush and lost to a higher straight flush you know i've played like stupid crazy hands like that to the point where when i'm playing a live tournament or, or any tournament really like i don't find myself getting into the the mindset where i feel like oh, I'm the chip leader with 20 left. That means I'm guaranteed to win. Like that just doesn't happen to me yeah. because I've been in so many spots where I've been chip leader with 20 left and I've just come ninth and it sucks. Right. But the the reps that you put in and the experience that you get in just trying and failing and trying and failing are really valuable. But it's so expensive to do that live. Right. So for me, the way I would approach it for someone who's at absolute zero is I would take them... Um, I would start out or maybe not absolute
0: zero because the people listening here are probably Mm -hmm. not absolute zero, but you know,
1: someone that is
0: competent, Mm -hmm. but not necessarily going to be crushing the field, Mm -hmm. you know, something like that.
1: Sure. Yeah, I I would probably um, I would probably take a mixed approach where on the one hand, I would try to familiarize them with theory as much as possible to allow them to just understand, like if it was a bunch of if it was a bunch of bots playing, Mm -hmm. like how would the game look? And then, what does the real game look like? And what can we make? What broad assumptions can we make about what people do based on that? So, like, I know we've, you know, Buck and Nick have had conversations on on this cast about uh, Nick's data and Buck's live approach and how you marry those together and all that sort of thing. And I don't want to, I don't want to necessarily rehash all of that. But I do, I do think that the um, the process of learning can be. I think the, the how can I phrase this? The process of learning can be sped up quite substantially if you front load certain things. Mm. So if you if you front load people with an understanding of what poker would look like if it was not played by human beings. Right. You that can then good. insert on top of that, like this is how human beings actually play. And people will immediately be able to see like, wow, okay, there's all these, all these holes, all these areas where like a computer would be able to, to do this easily, but yeah. a human being can't Correct. like randomization or, or knowing a perfect defending range against the quarter pot C and stuff like that, you know? So you can, you can then from, after you familiarize yourself with, with those two things, like what, a, what is the, what would a bot do and what would a human do? You can then start to kind of synthesize a strategy where you don't, Overload yourself with complexity early on. Uh, I think that there's a lot of uh, reason to suggest that the, the simplified version of a strategy is what we should start with and then add complexity as we go through. Mm-hmm. And one of, the, one of the things that um, I think the, the reason why I front load a lot of theory with a lot of my students is because people don't recognize that simple strategies can be effective. and they they think that the gap between a simple strategy and a really complicated one is massive but there's a lot of spots where the most complex strategy you could possibly think of and the simplest one you could possibly think of will make virtually the same amount of money I've said this
0: before in that the simple strategy with no errors mm -hmm. makes a fair amount of money Mm -hmm. in comparison to a complex strategy with errors Mm -hmm. and I think that's that's exactly what you're saying. In terms of even if compared to just like EV versus EV, the simple strategy might make a little bit less, but it's a lot more
1: uh applicable mm-hmm. and
0: imp- implementable.
1: Is that a word? Yeah. Hell yeah, let's get it. Yeah, I mean I, I agree. I think the I think there's a lot to be said for giving yourself a strategic framework where you know what your strategy is. Mm-hmm. Cause I think what a lot what happens to a lot of people is they um they get very sort of overwhelmed by all the different things they're quote unquote supposed to think about when they're making a decision yeah like trying to be unexploitable and be balanced and all this stuff and then try to exploit as well and like all these things um that they they lose sight of what their overall strategy is and um there are on the on the other side of things like there are certain circumstances where a player might just say okay Instead of, uh, a common thing that I, I get from tournament students is like, what size should I raise to pre-flop, right? So like, right. It, yeah, it'd be like, should I 3x? Should I 2.5? Should I 2.2? Should I 2x? Like, right. what I say to them sometimes is like, if you just 25 x every spot for the rest of your life in every tournament you played at every stack size, you would save yourself a lot of time and energy and you no. would probably lose like a few bucks. It doesn't matter that Like, much it though. just doesn't matter that much. Like, it, it spending a bunch of time trying to figure it out which I did at certain points like I yeah, I, mean, I it, did I yeah. did that online like I spent time like okay my opens are making this much with 2x and making this much with 2.5 maybe I should open 2.5 in this position like Correct. I I've yeah. tried to like mess around with it and then after a while I just I came to the point of like all that time I just didn't need to spend on that mm. cuz the 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 hourly return on the time that you spend trying to optimize at that level is just minimal Correct. so I I one one of the things that I've picked up from Nick a lot working with him is the the idea of trying to Capture 80% of the returns as quickly as possible, basically. So, like, not necessarily diving into that 20% of extra complexity until you really get the 80% correct. And for most people, I think that just comes down to understanding good opening ranges and not worrying about, like, how do I open 80% of hands on the button to exploit the big blind? Like, that bottom, like, whatever percent is only making a tiny amount if you play it perfectly. So, what you're
0: saying is people are focused at the wrong target yeah effectively
1: right people people like i think people like the uh the comfort almost of knowing that they're playing a really complicated strategy Mm. because it makes them feel like if my strategy is more complicated than my opponents it must be better yeah if they if they can if they can spend a lot of time on like how do i have three different bet sizings on this river or like how do i check raise this really complicated range or you know everything like that um you know, they, they convince themselves like, oh, I'm putting effort into this high level shit, man. This is like, mm-hmm. this is really complicated stuff. Yeah. My opponents are not going to know what's hit them. When the guy who's thinking, okay, uh, on this board texture, I just have no check raises, move on to the next board texture. Right. Like that guy who's really hyper efficient is going to get to like 80% of his capacity really quickly. And then he's going to have time to spend on the last 20% that he can actually now say, okay, well, what stuff is going to make a difference to my win rate? What stuff is not going to be wasted energy? Because I think there's a lot of study time that that is basically wasted energy for a yeah, lot of yeah. people. There's a lot of like unnecessary complexity, and we we a lot of what we talk about at the academy sometimes is adding certain amounts of complexity on earlier streets to simplify turns and rivers sometimes, or doing it the other way around where you simplify Correct. flops, and then the turn and river is where you add the complexity. And and I in many ways I think what I think one of the the, the sort of undefined skills of poker is the management of complexity. Like at what point do you employ a complex strategy compared to a simple one? And are you even making more money by doing that? Or are you actually just creating extra effort for yourself for almost no gain? And I think people would be surprised like in certain spots, if you just see bet your whole range for a small size versus you spend an hour studying a really complicated CBET strategy and trying to implement it with perfect frequencies. Like sometimes the small strategy, the small size strategy is just going to do better, especially if they overfold. And sometimes, yeah. sometimes just a check everything strategy is going to be, is going to be doing better. Like I spent a long time, I don't do it quite so much anymore, but for a long time, I was just checking my whole range out of position in, in, uh, in MTTs, like heads up. Right. Cause people are just making so many mistakes anyway that, you know, I I can make just as much money exploiting the check check line as I could exploiting through a C bet. Yeah. So like, why bother constructing a C bet range? So the simplicity is powerful and the the only downside is when you employ it in a spot that makes your opponent's strategy easier, then it sometimes starts to backfire. But those it spots does. are actually pretty rare because your opponent has to have done the work to study how to counter that strategy. So
0: So what we got from this podcast it's two things, two major things.
1: Major things? All right.
0: Yes. Communication in your relationship as well as in life, as well as in poker, mm-hmm. is paramount. Absolutely. And if they want to learn more, you're writing a book on... You're not?
1: No, I'm not. Okay. Well, they're, they're probably one of the last things I would ever do in my life is write a book about dating or relationships. I'm not the communication. guy for that. Okay. Communication. I can write a book
0: communication about. Communication in your life. That's, that should be the okay. That should be the title of your book because it encapsulates everything you do. Yeah. It I could know, be man. dating. It could be work. It could be poker. It could be I'm, your career. I'm just
1: a poker player. I, no, 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 I'm not No, no. You're gonna... too smart.
0: Don't pigeonhole yourself. All right. You, you,
1: you have a okay. bright future That's fair. That's with fair. many avenues. I, I am not just a poker player, but- mm. I'm not gonna write books about communication. There's people who do that for a living. There's people who it's people who have, you know, three times the amount of degrees in languages that I have. It's not about
0: degrees, that. man. It's about if the people like you. Okay. That's what's important. All right. You know. Then the next thing is simplicity in poker may be your path towards a higher win rate. Yep. And. But you don't fire me for saying that. <laughs> no, but it, but it's but it's kind of true. You know, it always I feel like we get this sort of tag uh, Mm -hmm. you know put upon us in the software like a software wise just like doing all this wild stuff you know and it's like not necessarily like Mm -hmm. often the time which is like well that's a very standard spot you know Mm -hmm. you should do these things and i think that what you said is very true especially if you're coming up spending your energy on efficient simple strategies that are if you get them Mm -hmm. correct are often hard to exploit right rather than zoning in into a spot that's going to cause a lot of gray zone. Mm-hmm. You know, I know you like that term.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's a, that's a term Nick talks about a lot. It's the term that Nick and I have, have sort of done some work on with his, his poker detox students. Um, and I think the, the simplicity, the, the value of simplicity is, is best sort of shown when you see how rapidly some players can rise through the ranks now when they are able to follow simplified strategies. Mm-hmm. I know Nick has some players uh, in his team um, shout out to his brother, Patrick Howard, who's, who's risen up very, very quickly through the stakes through using a very heavily incentivized, simplified strategy. So a strategy that started out like just, okay, what, what are the leaks in the player pool? Target those leaks mm. using the data that Nick has access to, which we've Nick's talked about before. And then adding more complexity as you go up in stakes, adding complexity as it's necessary. And that's the key thing that there are some spots where simplicity is not, uh, sorry, there are some spots where complexity is not necessary. And you find out when it's necessary because your simple strategy stops working very mm-hmm. effectively. Mm-hmm. Um, but the the funny thing for a lot of people is like they're, they they assume that complexity must be better because it's harder for your opponents to understand, but they come to that assumption before they've ever even tried the simple strategy. So it's almost like, uh, it's sort of the equivalent of a tournament player who is trying to figure out how to play fifteen big blind poker, because they they feel like it has to be more complicated than just playing push fold. Right. Like, like I have to be able to find a way to not play push fold at this stack size.
0: Yeah, that used to be me. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs>
1: it's like, can I just get one through? Yeah, right. <laughs> but it but it's 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 like on a deeper level than that. It's like some people think like it can't just be that simple. Right. Like it can't just be that I can just play push fold and make money. This game has to be more complicated than that. But there's a lot of ways in which it's really not because right. 15 big blind poker, mathematically, it just is solved to, to a pretty significant degree. So like the, the I guess part of it is part of it is, is understanding when complexity is incentivized and when it's not. But part of it is also just being willing to understand that certain fields that seem really complex are actually a lot simpler than they than they appear. And just being willing to accept that and not like look for things that aren't there there it's actually hard for a lot of people. And it was hard for me when I started out. Like I, I used to think that all the regs around me knew all the like they knew all the secrets. They knew all the like super balanced plays and everything. And now I'm like, he's not, he's going to fucking know anything, you know? So that's true. That's it's, true. <laughs> it's funny. All right.
0: Well, it is a wrap for this show. It was a pleasure having yeah. my man, the dating expert communication expert simplicity expert he's moving now across town to be closer to us to guide us
1: to where we should be in our life my wife's gonna find it hilarious that uh that you guys are paying me as this dating dating expert now what do you mean i don't know just it's it's just funny
0: i understand it's this you can have a wife and still be a dating expert. I know. Okay,
1: I know. I know. I'm not that. saying you're actually, you're out there actually, slinging I it. Actually, this up. My, <laughs> my wife has been mad at you and Berkey for like six months. Why? Because you mentioned on the vlog cast that I failed my driving test three times, and she thought that was really unfair. She thought you shouldn't. All have right. said that. Well,
0: you should have communicated it to her a little I, better.
1: I, I didn't <laughs> say it was that unfair. I thought, I, like, I I was like, all right, I deserve it, you know. <laughs> but like, she she's like, she's been mad at you for like six. All months. All right.
0: Well, I apologize to you. I'm not going to say more words because I'm trying to keep it simple. All right. And with that said...